Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. Our official sponsor, as always, is Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel. And our other sponsors are Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. In this chats edition of our podcast, which is actually number 200, uh, we have a chance to hang out with Chad Holloway from Poker News. Uh, really excited about that. Uh, but let's first introduce our panel tonight. Uh, my name is Steve Fredland. I go by Rec Poker Steve in our Poker Stars home game. And Sammy Farha says, just play every hand. Uh, you can't miss them all, which I'm not sure I agree with or not. How about you, John? Uh, I'm John Somsky, Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I have a quote from Benny Binion. Trust everyone, but always cut the cards. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Rob Washam. I'm Radman50 on Twitter and at the home game. And Katie Letterer once said, uh, the cardinal sin in poker is not playing dead cards. It is not miscalculating your odds. It's getting emotionally involved. Uh, very good. Well, a couple of quick things uh, before we bring in Chad. Uh, one, one new thing, our home games, you guys know, we keep expanding those things. There's too much, too many, too much demand for what we're doing there. But we are going to add a, uh, a Friday morning at 5 a.m. Hold your, hold your breath. It's okay. 5 a.m. Central Time and a noon Central Time uh, because we've got all these folks in Australia and Europe that are saying, we want in, we want in. So uh, <laughs> it's open to anybody, uh, but we are adding a 5 a.m. and a noon Central Standard Time home game. And also uh, you can join the community for free at rec.poker. Uh, and if you want to go premium, uh, use the code recpoker. You get 10 bucks off your first payment. So with that, uh, let's bring him in, uh, Chad Holloway. Uh, Chad, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Very excited. Uh, this is, as you mentioned, your 200th episode. So I, I feel honored to take part and uh, congratulations on that. That is no easy feat in the world of, uh, you know, podcasting and shows. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, I know we, we talked to your people and we said, can we get Chad on? They said, well, once you have 200 under your belt, then he maybe will come on. So uh, it, was, it was a long haul to get you here, but yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. Now, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, we've, I want to talk about your poker journey, but before we get into that, uh, maybe there's a few people out there that don't know who you are. You know, our target audience are, you know, a lot of bar league, home league players. They're like, who's this Chad guy? So let's first talk a little bit about uh, what you do with Poker News. What's your, what's your actual title and what's your role there and what are some of the other things that you're involved with? Sure. My official role right now is uh, is live report, uh, head of live reporting for North America. And so when there are live tournaments, which there aren't many now in the world that we're living in, but uh, prior and soon after when things get a little more normal is that uh, poker tournaments happen all across the country, um, really all around the world. But whenever they're in the United States or Canada, I'm the guy who is coordinating with venues uh, with tours and then sending reporters there to offer live updates or do stories, uh, things like that. Now, I've worked for Poker News for about a decade with three years off to work for the MSPT, the Mid-States Poker Tour. Um, and I started off, you know, as just a reporter, worked my way up to a writer uh, and then just did some you know, news articles, things like that. And uh, also do the podcast. I mean, I, I do quite a bit uh, of different things, but officially I'm head of live reporting for North America. Head of live reporting and 85 other things. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's about right. You know, I co-host the, the podcast. I still do a lot of articles and writing um, and just, uh, yeah, try to promote the, the brand uh, when I can. Jumping on shows like this uh, from time to time is always fun. Yeah, and if you guys don't follow Poker News, do it. You really should be. Uh, it's fantastic stuff. They have so much live reporting out there. Uh, full disclosure, I've done some reporting for the MSPT uh, as well. And so I've interacted with the Poker News folks that are doing the reporting on site. They're fantastic. It's an amazing system uh, that they have going on. So really encourage you guys, check it out if you want to stay plugged into the poker scene. And we'll talk a little bit about some of your articles, obviously, with some of the breaking news that's happened in the poker world. Uh, we'll touch on that uh, a little bit later here. But let's, let's talk a little bit about your poker journey personally. Like, okay, so you're from Wisconsin now. Uh, you know, so did you guys just wage your cheese? Or how, how did this work for you guys? How did you get into the game to start with? Uh, it wasn't cheese, but it was food is where it started. <laughs> uh, we uh, used to play, me and my friends, we grew up in a small town here in Wisconsin with about 500 people. And so uh, during the summer when there wasn't school, there wasn't much to do in a small town. There was one restaurant. So almost every day we would go to the restaurant and we would order a big plate of French fries, right? I still remember this. It came to $1.26. So we'd get a dollar, $2 <laughs> from our grandma or our parents or what have you. And uh, three, four, five of us would go buy a plate of French fries, get the deck of cards and play five card draw. 
And uh, that's really where it began for me. We kind of graduated into our teenage years, you know, upping the stakes a bit, if you will, to quarters uh, or cigarettes for some of the some of them who smoked. I never did, but uh, you could wager a quarter or cigarettes type of thing, and then turned into more from there. And eventually, when I got into college, I found some bar games, some local games in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, just kind of started playing and taking it a little more serious. And uh, from there, I went to, you know, my first casinos when I turned 21. Actually, when I turned 18, I crossed the border over into Minnesota where you only had to yeah. be you know, 18. So uh, there were occasional trips there for about three years, turned 21, finally could get into the Wisconsin casinos. Uh, but really didn't start taking things serious until 2007. I relocated uh, to New Orleans where I attended Tulane Law School for uh, mm-hmm. a bit and ended up traveling down to Harrah's and, and playing there. And, uh, you know, back then in 2007, if you knew a little bit about poker, you were going to win nine times out of 10 when you visited the casino. It was just that much easier. You know, there was one or two people at each table who knew what they were doing. And then the rest were, uh, you know, just trying to get lucky. Whereas nowadays it's eight or nine people at the table know what they're doing. Maybe one guy doesn't. Everyone's just uh, gotten caught up to speed. But back then, I was doing quite well, ended up dropping out of law school, uh, not knowing what I was going to do with my life. And in 2009, I got an internship with Bluff for the World Series of Poker. So that was my first trip out there. Um, Just used my knack for writing. Uh, You know, I did some writing in college and in law school and, you know, turned that into a poker career because after 2009, 2010 WSOP rolled around, Poker News offered me just a freelance position, but I I guess I impressed enough that... uh, I soon got hired on staff and kind of the rest is history. Yeah, so it's such a cool story. I have a million stories kind of along the way. And let's start at, at Tulane. So doing the law school, looked like you were going to go down that road. Uh, fill in the blanks a little bit for us. Was it sort of a, this isn't for me thing? Or was it that poker was just such a draw or, you know, something else going on? So talk about that transition. Uh, did you just kind of make the decision at that point, I'm going to pursue poker or was it something different going on? Um, no, it was it really wasn't poker that drew me away from it. It was a combination of things. I never had a huge passion for law school. It was just I was a history major. And so it was the logical step, I guess, you know, I could maybe get into teaching or something, but I wanted a job that was going to pay well. And so I thought law school and uh, you know, I did all right on my LSAT and got accepted to Tulane and uh, New Orleans uh, was a world away almost from Wisconsin. You yeah. know, it's it's straight up north, but uh, north south, but it's, you know, the culture and everything couldn't be more different. And I really fell in love with it. And I still do uh, love New Orleans quite a bit, but uh, got into, you know, doing the law school, taking the classes and I was playing poker too much. You know, I'd skip classes to go down. I'd take my law books with me and I'd be studying at the table. You know, I still yeah. do read at the <laughs> table to this day. And uh, just my grades slipped. I wasn't giving it 100% like I really needed to and kind of just realized after a bit that like I'm not going to be able to bullshit my way through this if you will mm-hmm. I've been accustomed to kind of doing that in college and even high school like it just was easy to kind of get through it and I'm like this is going to be a little bit different you really need to uh, commit to this and are you sure you want to commit to this and uh, like I said I, I just wasn't sure I wanted to go down that path and so I ended up moving back to Wisconsin really not knowing what I was going to do with my life um, you know i knew I would be playing poker, but um, not as a profession. I didn't think I was going to make it. Um, It was just kind of keep my head above water. And I'd really, I didn't have a bankroll at the time. You know, I was, uh, I was, I was poor, you know, if I could afford a, you know, a hundred dollar buy-in, that was it. And if I lost it, it was got to wait a couple more weeks to get paid. Yeah. Those those are tough spots in life, right? We all have those spots where you kind of know this isn't what I want to do but I don't necessarily know what's next. Uh, and so I'm sure that was a soul searching sort of period of time for you. So, so then bluff magazine I'll, thing. I'll, I'll, let me ahead. actually, I'll tell you this real quick. I I'd yeah. shared this story a few times, but it's uh this was, so when I, I moved back to Wisconsin, I took a job at a call center um, for Land's End, which is a, a clothing yeah. company. They send out their catalogs, people call in. Uh, and there are three different call centers throughout Wisconsin, uh, each with a couple hundred operators so maybe like five, 600 operators on any given shift. And I'd say 95 to 99% of them are women in their fifties or sixties. You know, it's just mm-hmm. kind of a, a side gig for them. I was in my twenties at the time and it was really rare to, I think there were two guys in the entire building who were in their twenties answering phones. Well, I was going through this, you know, this 
identity crisis, if you will, is poker something that is for me? I've been on a downswing. Is it time to just give it up? I don't know what I want to do. I was, you know, just starting to write about it and not really gaining much traction. And so I, as I'm thinking this, you know, this, this is going through my head. One night I take a call at work. It's a gentleman and I, I take his order. He's ordering some pants and I go through it after 10 minutes, we get to the end where I get to see his information. We're going to check him out. And I see the name. And as soon as I seen the name, the voice clicked in my head. Uh, it was Steve Dannenman. And mm -hmm. I said, I hate to be unprofessional, but Steve Dannenman as you know, runner up in the 2005 World Series of Poker main event, Steve Dannenman. And he kind of laughed and he, <laughs> he said, yeah, it was. And, and we chatted. And that was a big turning point for me because um, I thought to myself, of all the operators who randomly get assigned these, these calls, nobody in this entire company, nobody would know who Steve Dannenman right. is but me. And it would mean nothing to anybody but it means a lot to me. So to me, it was like a, just a sign, you know, like, okay, poker is for you. Keep going with this, keep playing. And, you know, I went back to the casino and I hit a little upswing. My confidence was up and, and here I am now. Um, I mean, that was probably 12 years ago now and uh, making a career out of the poker. world. I haven't have a bracelet to my name too. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it was like a, it was a life-changing call from, from Steve Dannenman of all people. I love that the, the the butterfly effect, right? Right. Have you have you ever reached out to him again since and and let him know about kind of that you ended up in the in the business? Yeah, I have. Uh, I know Steve, you know, fairly well now, yeah. getting to the position I'm in in the poker world. And uh, I don't remember where it was if it was in Vegas or some other casino, but I had the opportunity to actually tell him that story, and he, you know, he got a little kick out of it. And uh, uh, you know, I just said, uh, you know, you don't know it, but uh, thank you for for ordering that pair of pants. <laughs> right, exactly. That's a great pair of pants. You should have right. them sign them and give them to you at some point. Uh, no, that that's that's super cool. So then, so Bluff Magazine, how does that come out? You just happened to, were you plugged in to the scene at that point? Were you looking? Did they reach out to you? Like, how did that, that uh, sure. whole internship piece start? So I, at that time, I was just really trying to break into the poker world. I had reached out to all sorts of people in the community, you know, people I read in magazines, Card Player Magazine, Bluff Magazine. They had bylines. Some of them had emails or what have you. So um, I just really started reaching out to anybody asking for advice. And I must have seen um, something in Bluff Magazine or somewhere. I mean, this was kind of before social media was was too big but somewhere i must have seen that they were looking for help for the 2009 world series of poker um so i applied or reached out i had a little bit of a, a resume or portfolio at that point and uh, they offered me a position it was it was paid but it was also break even right like by the time i travel <laughs> right. out there by the time i uh, pay for food and find a place to stay i was going to break even but being the fanboy that i was just looking for experiences i thought I'm going to do it, obviously. Uh, so I took out a loan from the bank here because I had zero money. Uh, I drove out to Vegas and uh, interned them, you know, wrote some of the tournaments and just experienced my first WSOP. I was a fanboy. I got pictures with, you know, Doyle Brunson and Mike Mattisau and all the people you, you had seen on TVs in the 2000s. I was wearing patches left and right. Like I was just, to me, that was it. Like I'm living my uh, dream poker i'm at the world series of poker i'm not really playing anything i can't afford to play anything but i'm gonna after this is done i get to go back home and that's gonna be it for me in poker and now i'll get a real job and i'll start you know at that point i think i had decided like all right law school didn't work out so i'm gonna go to be a teacher so that's what i did came back from the world series of poker and i uh, went back to college to get my teaching degree and i took all the classes i have all the credits and uh you know it was an accelerated program and so in the beginning of 2010, I started student teaching. And so for three or four months, I went unpaid every day teaching 10th grade high school history and a few other high school classes. And um, the World Series was starting to roll around. And I thought, you know what, let me just let me just see what's going on. If anybody's looking or what's out there. And the year before I had met uh, Mickey Doft, who has been in the industry a long time and worked for Poker News at the time. I was with Bluff and I, you know, I learned about poker news. He told me about poker news, what poker news does with the live updates and what have you, and that they bring on people every summer. So I reached out to Mickey and just said, Hey, are you guys doing updates again? Do you need help? He put me in touch with uh, Gary Gates, who at the time mm -hmm. worked for poker news and people might know him as making the main event final table last year mm -hmm. and finishing in fourth place. Well, long story short, I'll try to, to <laughs> no, it's good, man. this it's down. Yeah. Is uh, Gary Gates was leaving 
and Matthew Parvis was coming into Poker News. Well, as fate would have it, Matt Parvis had been editor-in-chief at Bluff Magazine. And so I had interned before. He brought me over to Poker News. And um, like I said, I, I, and I, I actually had to quit student teaching to go and work the World Series of Poker because the student teaching the semester wasn't supposed to end until the very end of May. And the WSOP started a week prior. So there was a, a week overlap that I just couldn't get out of. My school would not have any leeway. They said, you know, and so, you know, I consulted with friends and family and it was a huge choice. I had invested so much time and energy and I was so close to getting that teaching degree. But here's my opportunity to go with Poker News who paid quite a bit more. You know, it, was, it wasn't going to be a break even. It was going to actually profit. <laughs> right. You could maybe and, pay uh, the loan back. Yeah. Right. And there was no guarantee of future employment, but I thought, you know what, yeah. I can always go back to student teaching and, and finish this off. Um, but I ended up doing a good enough job that summer, I guess. Um, you know, I really loved what I did and I, I tried to do my best. And I guess I made enough of a good impression because um, shortly thereafter, Matt Parvis sent me an email asking if I wanted to go live report a tournament in Argentina and for a small town Wisconsin fanboy to yeah. go down to Argentina and you know get paid to do it, uh, it was a dream come true. And yeah, from there, it just eventually I got hired on as staff. And um, from 2010 to 2016, I traveled the world for Poker mm -hmm. News doing live updates. Let, let's talk a little bit about this. It's such an interesting story. It's a very compelling story. I mean, it's a long way from $1.26 French fries to uh, <laughs> live reporting in Argentina, right? And I mean, you've gone on to, to do even greater things since then. But talk a little bit about, uh, it's a question I get quite a bit. Maybe you get this question. And we have a lot of people out there in Rec Poker Nation uh, that, that sort of have this on their mind. Like, man, it'd be so cool to work in the poker industry. Like somehow, some way, shape, form. Uh, but I think what, what I hear in your story is, it is, but you, you know, you had the passion, you had the self-confidence, you're willing to work for free, you know, you were driven. I mean, it sounds like, you know, yeah, you, you know, things have to go your way as luck would have it, as you said, but you know, it, it's, it's hard work, right. To kind of break into this industry. Uh, if you're not already known commodity, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the perseverance that you had or how, what would you say to people that are out there going, man, it'd be kind of fun to someday be a Chad Holloway or just be around the game uh, as my living. Sure. And I get asked this quite frequently, yeah. you know, people reaching out on social media and I, I tell them the same thing that people told me when I first broke into, or when I first reached out, you know, asking how to break into the industry. And really I was met with a lot of, um, you know, don't do it or it's hard or, you know, it's, it's, it's facing an uphill battle sort of thing. And it really is because there are only a few positions, you know, it is tough. It's very competitive. Um, it's a, a niche market, but all that said, I knew all that or I was told all that and I still was able to do it. So it's possible. You can do it. Um, you do have to be willing to work hard. You do uh, have to be willing to maybe pay your dues a little bit, so to speak. Mm -hmm. and, and by that meaning, um, you know, maybe you have to write for free for a little while just so you build a, a portfolio. You have something to show, which in turn will get you a job maybe doing live updates and then you can, you know, build from there. You're, you're not going to start live updating though, going from, um, you know, fresh off the streets to live reporting the $100,000 band buying high rollers, you know, that's uh, for more experienced reporters. So then you got to start small, you got to, you know, if it's to say the WSOP, you're going to report the casino employees event, you're going to report the $500 buy-ins, the $1,000 buy-ins, no limit events that um, are kind of the, we'll call them like the low hanging fruit of the WSOP. You know, there, there's not as many eyes on the tournament like that as there is mm -hmm. a big one for one drop. But if you do that and you come back the next summer and then the next summer, you just you kind of work your way up in the industry. You get to know players and you uh, just kind of start establishing yourself as a, a poker reporter. And, you know, along the way, you got to do things. You got to make sure you uh, are staying on top of the news. I always encourage people to get your name out there, you know, get a Twitter yeah. account, get on social media, start interacting with the players, with the tours, with the casinos um, and just kind of make a name for yourself. And, uh, you know, if you work freelance, which most reporters start off working freelance before they're ever uh, able to get, um, you know, like a, a salaried position or a full-time position with a company, you know, make those connections, network, and uh, just make sure they know that you're there, that you're available and mm -hmm. kind of be willing to do whatever needs to be done and, and do it right. And realize like most industries, you know, success isn't going to come overnight it might if you're playing poker you could win a tournament and boom right you have that success but on the poker media side of things it's uh, it's definitely a long patient grind and uh, 
it's it's great though once you do like i like i said i got paid to travel the world seeing countries and things that uh you know it would have cost me a fortune to do on my own dime but i got actually paid to do it so i'm very lucky very fortunate to to have had the life i had and over the past decade I love that. Such a great message. And, and be on time and be responsible. Do the little things. I see so many people make those mistakes. Just do the, do the obvious and then, you know, then pursue it with passion. Uh, go ahead, John. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was coming from is I think what uh, makes you a great reporter and what makes people actually want to listen to you is your passion about the game. It really comes through in everything you do, that you actually care, you actually enjoy it. Uh, not to mention the fact that you have achieved a few things that most people would give their left arm for in the poker playing world. And of course, I am talking about when you won your bracelet at the, uh, in the employees event. What was that like? I mean, I remember listening to podcasts after that, and everyone was so happy for you because you do know so many people in the poker industry that, you know, other people on other podcasts were saying, hey, yeah, Chad, he's a great guy, and he won the event. It was a, a, a great thing. But what did that mean to you? I mean, winning a bracelet as a poker fan is the, the ultimate dream. So it, it meant a lot. I had always hoped to compete for one, and it – it kind of came out of nowhere, if you will. Like I thought I was going to maybe win a circuit ring at first, you know, and then kind of work my way up, if you will. Uh, and that year for 2013, we were contracted by Caesars to do the live updates. And so they considered us employees and they let us know as, you know, since you're going to be employees for the summer, you are eligible to play the casino employees event. I hadn't planned on playing it. Most people had. We found out like a week before that we could. And so I'll never forget, I was down in New Orleans, uh, not living there at the time, you know, but back there for uh, the WSOP National Championship. Uh, the Circuit National Championship was held there that year. And they had a player party. And as uh, the player party was on a uh, steamboat, a riverboat that was on the Mississippi. And so they took us out for a spin for uh, three or four hours. You know, everyone was drinking, having fun. And I was talking to Nancy Birnbaum, who is a Florida pro I knew from the circuit quite well. She said, are you going to play anything this summer? And I said, well, they told us we could play this casino employees event. So I think I'm going to give that a whirl. And uh, she said, well, you know, how much is that? I said, it's 500. And, you know, at the time I had a little bit of a bankroll and stuff. 500 was fine. It was about the sort of tournaments that I could play. And uh, so I was planning on playing it. But she said, uh, you know, what a, you know, 500, you want me to push you in? And I said, uh, Oh, you, you cut out there, Chad. Chad, I, Chad, you're on mute right now. No, unless the dog triggered something, I don't know. Can you guys hear Chad at all? No. There we go. Now we're back live. How about now, though? Yep, we're good now. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, my dogs were going a little nuts. No, it's all right. We heard, we heard, uh, we heard Nancy ask you how much it oh, was yeah, and then, uh, then became a mystery. What's that, Rob? You can hear me still? Yep. We're good. Yep. Okay. Um, sorry about that guys. Um, so Nancy Birnbaum asked me how much the buy-in is. I said 500. She says, do you want me to put you in? And I was, you know, probably going to say no if she said, you know, an 80, 20 split or something like that, which is kind of a standard backing deal, but she said 50, uh, 50. And I said, yep, sure. Like anybody, uh, <laughs> you know, will tell you that that's a pretty good deal. You know, they're paying the whole, free, the whole buy-in and uh, all you have to do is play. And if you lose, you're not out anything. And well, long story short, 898 runners. Uh, I ended up winning it and won it for about $85,000. So, you know, I had half my action. Uh, I've been very uh, transparent about that sort of thing. And uh, it was a whirlwind. It was only a two-day event. And the structure back then was quite a bit of a turbo and it was just one of those things like I made day two third in chips but we were still coming back with I want to say 52 players so even sitting third in chips with 52 players you still are like well this is cool but right. you know it's still so far away you don't fly in friends and family for right you know, with, you know <laughs> and then in the cash of that you know it was only I don't know twelve hundred dollars or something you know we were just barely in the money but um so I returned to day two and just pick up where I left off and start amassing chips. And it was such a whirlwind because all I got were, you know, the breaks, the 15 minute breaks every two hours or whatever it might've been. 
I didn't have a lot of time to let my family and friends know. Fortunately, it was being live reported on poker news and what have you. And I did have some other friends like spreading the word, but uh, it was a long day too, 13 hours or something like that. I was exhausted, but uh, you know, ended up winning it. And fortunately what my, you know, my Wisconsin family and friends weren't there, my poker colleagues and friends were. So that was kind of cool to have them there uh, cheering and celebrating with me. Wow, so cool. Unbelievable story. Uh, so I'm curious a little bit about, you know, back to the reporting side of things. And now you've covered all of these people for all of these years. Uh, I'm curious, who, who are some of the favorites? I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to call you out for the one favor necessarily, unless you want, but are there a few people that you're like, man, I hope they're playing this event or they're, they're just fun to cover or, you know, they, they treat the media really well, whatever it is, like, who are those folks that are, are people that you're excited to, to be around? Well, the one I was always really excited because he was one of the reasons I fell in love with poker in the first place was, uh, and unfortunately he's passed away a few years ago, was uh, David Elliott, the Devilfish. Right? Mm -hmm. I always remember seeing him on the WPT dressed up to the nines with his knuckle dusters on that said devil and fish. <laughs> I just love the right. character. So he uh, is one of them that just really made me fall in love with the game. Um, not the greatest person per se, but he was a great character and I love right. the character the game. A good, good one to cover. Yeah, exactly. And he was always fun, very entertaining. So he was always up there uh, for many, many years. Being a Wisconsin guy, I like Phil Helmuth. I really, you know, he's very polarizing. He's a character too. Uh, I know him pretty well. I played with a lot of the same people he played with when he lived in Wisconsin. Uh, so I'm always a big fan of Phil and I've been fortunate enough to live report uh, three or four of his last bracelet wins, which has mm. been pretty incredible. Um, there are some guys out there like an Anthony Zeno, who's won several uh, bracelets, you know, WPTs. Uh, Anthony Zeno is just one of the nicest guys out there. You know, they, re they really respect what the media does, the attention that they give, and really like the long, thankless hours that live reporters mm -hmm. work because they're there from start to finish, even a little before, a little after. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times players are coming down criticizing them. Oh, you got this hand wrong. I didn't check. I, I check called or I checked, you know, like details and, it's they just don't appreciate that a reporter is working 12 hours a day, six hours or six days a week, um, you know, and they're going to make those little mistakes. I mean, they're not really that bad. Players like Anthony Zeno do realize it and, you know, are appreciative. Maybe they'll come in one day with some, uh, you know, candy or some food just to say thank you. Or um, once Danielle Anderson, a Minnesota girl, yeah. uh, Danielle Moon Anderson came in, she handed me a gift, a gift certificate, a gift card for a local place in Vegas that gives massages and said, you know, you've been working really hard all summer long. When you get an hour, go down here and, uh, you know, get a massage for yourself. And that was really cool, really appreciated, of course. And uh, I actually did end up using that card this past summer, uh, which was great. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, like I mentioned, I've done some reporting with the MSPT and stuff. And they, they are long days. If you guys are out there playing, if you have reporters, thank them. <laughs> because it is a long day and you're on your feet, most of it, or a good chunk of it, you know, which which can be exhausting, can be hard on the back once you get into day four, day five, and that sort of thing. So uh, I got a lot of respect for what you guys do week in and week out and, and the team that you've managed to build, uh, building a great team there too. Uh, let, let's uh, shift focus a little bit specifically then on, on Mike Sexton. Uh, so the news just, just came out. Uh, we're recording this uh, on September 7th, and the news just came out that Mike has passed away. Uh, and you did a phenomenal article uh, on that, and I've seen a number of tributes, of course, uh, from from poker players, from the media, from all around the world, of course, uh, for Mike. So I'd love to have you share a little bit about uh, your experience with Mike, uh, maybe some some of your favorite memories or what you want to share with, with the Rec Poker Nation. Sure. Uh, give quick credit to Mo Nuara and Matthew Pitt. They also uh, contributed to that article, uh, doing a lot of you know research on Mike and, and his accomplishments. Um, like so many others, we were really shocked and surprised, you know, by when news broke that uh, that he was ill and that things weren't looking good and, and that it was kind of just a matter of time. And then of course, yesterday word broke that he, he did pass away um, surrounded by his family. And, um, you know, I too have been enjoying everybody's stories and you know, Mike was one of the, if not the nicest guy in poker, I will say he's the greatest ambassador poker has ever seen. Um, I've never seen him, say no to a fan i've never seen him get grouchy it you know if he ever was 
impatient or not having that passion for poker. He was doing it behind closed doors because when he was out among the fans, among his fellow players, uh, he was nothing but a gentleman and just, like I said, a great ambassador. And I always felt a nice kinship with him because like me, he works in the poker industry, but he also plays and he enjoys Mm -hmm. playing, you know? So he always said, I was just watching an old interview of his earlier today where he said, you know, he always thinks of himself as a player first and a commentator second, even though everybody knew him more as a WPT commentator for, for all those years. And I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I consider myself a player first, but most people know me because of what I do, you know, in the poker media and with poker news. And and at the time, uh, one time MSVT. Um, So I've always kind of had that kind of kinship or understanding with, uh, with Mike. And um, some of my favorite memories are, I worked one WPT event a number of years ago. This must have been uh, 2016, I think. And I had never worked a WPT event for them, for the WPT, because I had always been poker news. And at the time, I was MSPT. But MSPT, when they didn't have anything going on, they would allow me to do some freelance work. So it just so happened that this WPT at Playground, uh, Playground Poker Club in Canada uh, was having an event that I could work. And so they gave me a shot. They hired me on. And where we were staying was in Montreal, and it was about a 30-minute one-way ride to the venue. So every day we would get up, we'd all pile in the van and go to the venue, and then at night, same thing, we'd all get in the van and go back. And Mike Sexton was in said van. You know, he was Mm. uh, the WPT. the, The WPT really is a family. And it may have only been for this one event, but I was part of that family for that one event. And they welcomed me, Mike welcomed me, um, and it was very special. You know, he was in the van. He was, like I said, when he came down from his hotel room, he was dressed in his suit and he was ready to go. Like he, he had a job to do. He was going to be an ambassador. He was going to greet the players. And uh, from the moment he got down to the hotel lobby, that's what he did. And uh, he was kind enough to entertain me with, you know, when I asked some questions um, on the rides to and from the casino and the hotel, he would be very open and shared a lot of stories. Um, You know, I'm a big poker historian, if you will. And I knew that he was very close to Stu Unger back in the day. Mm -hmm. And so for him just to share a little bit about his experiences with with Stu Unger and, um, you know, he's been around for 50 years in the poker world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just, it's incredible. He knew everybody and just getting to listen to those stories was great. And then in, you know, outside of that particular event, I would always see him, at the World Series of Poker, would always say hi. He was always nice. He always had time for everyone, Um, not just fellow big-name players, not just the poker media. Even if you were a fan, passing him in the hall and said, hey, do you mind if I get a photo? He's not only going to stop and take that photo with you. He was going to have a conversation with you. And, uh, you know, if it was a good conversation and you've seen him next year, he's the sort of guy that would remember you. And uh, I think that's just why he was so universally beloved. He had a passion for the game. Like John said, you know, having a passion really shines through and it really will help you rise in this in this poker world. And uh, Mike Sexton had a passion for poker even before the poker boom. You know, he had a lot of ideas that might have seemed crazy at the time, like the Tournament of Champions, but that mm-hmm. came to fruition. And uh, you know, he's in the Poker Hall of Fame class of 2009. He was the only per, uh, person inducted that year. Um, and I think that's kind of fitting because he does stand alone. Uh, in in his contributions to poker, if you will, and uh, I don't know, I'll just I'll always cherish that those those rides that I had just described with you with Mike, and then um, one that just sticks out in my mind a little bit too. This is nothing special, but it is really I think maybe the last time I seen Mike was um, last year at the World Series of Poker. Party Poker had a party. Uh, I was under the impression that it was going to be a dinner party. So me and my poker news colleague, we got the invite and we went over to, it was at Caesars at some restaurant and we just thought we were going to eat. And then, you know, an hour or two later, we would go back to work. Well, we get to this restaurant, which had been basically cleared out and reserved and long story short, it was like a, it wasn't just a dinner. It was this huge party, you know, open bar, hors d'oeuvres, hundreds of people. It was just this, I've been going to Vegas for the world series of, poker for over a decade (laughs) this was the best party i've ever been to it was great it was a lot of fun anyways at the end of the night they closed down the where the party was being held and we learned that there is an after party at one of the suites and we got invited so of course we we go up there and 
we get off the elevator and the first person I seen was Mike Sexton and he was kind of sitting uh, on a ledge of a fountain and just all by himself kind of and I went up and I said oh hey Mike you know how you doing how you been and uh, he he quick turned it on like he said like he does he's on he's like oh hey how you doing you know he looked up and I, I'm like how this is Mike Sexton had a fun night that night. He was, uh, he had had a few drinks, you know, and uh, uh, I'm like, okay, this is why he's sitting by himself. He just is uh, taking a little time. And uh, I, I just remembered, I was just so impressed, like, cause it was late. We had been staying up and I'm like, um, I guess this was last year. He must've been 71. And I'm yeah. like, he was there staying up with uh, all the young guns, if you will, of poker and the party poker people like, he was going to be there to be the ambassador, to do the job, to rub elbows with his, uh, you know, friends, colleagues, and the fans. And uh, I don't know, I was just, I, that one sticks out in my mind because it's just, he, he just always was go, go, go. And, uh, you know, yeah. he, he certainly was there. Well, if you're listening, if you're just listening to this podcast, you don't, you don't see Chad smile as he's telling these stories. So uh, it's fun to, it's fun to see the life in you as you're recounting these, these stories with Mike. It's fantastic. I, I mean, I wish, you know, I'm jealous of anybody that got to know the guy because I think, uh, you know, there's those larger than life people out there. And what I sense is in all of the stories that I hear, there's, it's all authentic, sort of genuine response to him. You know, I mean, frankly, when, when some people die, there's, everybody's trying to say the best thing they can about the person. And I think sometimes it feels forced, frankly, uh, yeah. with Mike, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like he genuinely was the real deal and uh, he's, he's going to be missed. I've never, I mean, I've been around the, like I said, the industry a long time. I've gotten to know a lot of people. I hear things about players, you right? You right. Know, like the, their public versus their private personas or things they mm -hmm. might've done that haven't come to light to the larger masses. And I can honestly say without a doubt, I've never heard anything bad about Mike Sexton. And as far mm -hmm. as I know, I haven't seen anybody else saying that they have either on social media or things like that. Yeah. It's just so unique to the poker world to have somebody like that who is just so respected and beloved and uh you know with nothing bad no blemishes on their their records that right. uh, you know seem to to be there you know even with the like you know there there are some pros who are associated with online poker sites who because of what happened with the online sites they're they're they got yeah. blemished a little bit mike sexton was with party poker who pulled out of the market who did the kind of the right thing. And it's just, uh, it's just almost fitting. You know, he, that's just who he was. He was just a shining light in the poker world. And I'm very, very sad that, uh, that, you know, that uh, he's mm -hmm. gone, but that the, the light from it or just his mark on the industry is going to be felt for, for such a long, long time. Well, and you hope people are going to see that they're going to go in. Hopefully that's going to inspire the next round of leaders to say, you know, I want that to be my legacy. I, you know, I'm maybe I've made mistakes or whatever, but I want to actually aspire to be remembered like this when I pass. So I'm um, hopefully that that will inspire the next generation. And you mentioned, you know, as a player and, and I knew he was a player, I knew he had some success, but I didn't realize this until I started reading your article and then doing a little research, 6.7 million tournament earnings, a uh, world series of poker uh, bracelet, WPT title. I mean, this is the real deal. So, uh, you know, it's not just some ambassador that was there because of his good looks and his eloquence. Uh, he was a very legitimate player. Did you ever have a chance to, to play with him at all? I don't think I ever had a chance to play with him, unfortunately. Um, trying to recall, there may have been like a charity event or two. It certainly yeah. wouldn't have been at, you know, at a, at a big uh, tournament or anything like that. Um, I, I do remember one time when he was more of a player if you will, like, of course he was a player. He won a bracelet. He won a WPT, yeah. but the time he stepped up to poker's biggest stage, if you will, was the first ever 2012 big one million dollar buy yes. big one for one drop. And we were kind of surprised like, wow, Mike Sexton is putting up a million dollars. And uh, <laughs> right. you know, of course he, he had, he had backers or the right friends and things like that. Um, and he was pretty clear about that, but he went and it, the intensity that he had and how serious he was taking that. And he ended up cashing in ninth place. Um, you know, it was his largest ever career score. And I, I know that one meant a lot to him. That score meant a lot that he was able to go up against, you know, some of the young Germans and a lot of the young players and still represent the old school. He used to talk a lot about the old school because that's what he's yeah. from. You know, like I said, he was with Stu Unger and, and those guys back in the day. And so um, that was one of my favorite moments you know, I was there. I witnessed it happen. 
Um, I wasn't there when he won his bracelet in, I think it was 1988 or 89. I wasn't there when he won his WPT. Um, so to actually be there, that was one of my favorite mo uh, Mike Sexton moments is, you know, as him as a player. Well, just so much respect coming out of it. You mentioned the old school. He'd talk about that, like, you know, part of the old school, but he had so much respect for these young guns, the the math wizards. I mean, he wouldn't be, like, throwing them under the bus, like, oh, these young – you know, he'd just say, man, they're, they're good players. Uh, and so I just felt like that's sort of what he represented as well was just respect each other. You know, maybe he had his perspectives on different things, but uh, teaming with respect. Um, so as we start to wrap up here, Chad, kind of what what's next for you now? What's What's next for Poker News? What's next for you? Obviously, we're all – waiting to be able to play live poker or you know have at least be commonplace again uh and i'm sure you are as much as anybody going let's go let's get this thing going but but what are you what's kind of next for you in poker news sure so fortunately well live poker has been more or less non-existent for the past six months uh, a result that we see there was a, a boom in online poker right so fortunately for myself and a lot of others within the company we've been able to transition to just uh covering more online mm -hmm. stuff more online content and things like that. So fortunately, you know, we've been able to keep a job and, and keep working and keep busy. So uh, that's been great. What's next, I'm hoping, is that we start to see uh, live poker start returning. I actually seen it last weekend. Uh, I went to the Mid-States Poker Tour, yeah. the MSBT, in Grand Falls. It was the first mid-major live tournament in about six months. And, and they it crushed was, it. They crushed it, yeah. <laughs> they were, uh, people were hungry. Yeah, when I worked for the tour, that was always the baby stop, like the small stop. Like, yeah. we're going to get out of here early because the field's going to be small. I think the, the record was <laughs> 234. Um, like, in, yep, in two, 500 yeah, two, something, didn't they? Yeah, 517 this time. <laughs> and so, uh, obviously, there's a hunger for yeah. live poker. Uh, I am hearing rumblings of certain venues or tours who are – trying to make some thing ha uh, things happen yet this year. I think it will be more likely in early 2021 that we start to see some more movement and uh, some of these things start to, to come back. And then uh, hopefully, you know, I know the WSOP is still holding out hope that maybe there'll be a live version in, in 2020. Um, I'm thinking like 2021, hopefully things are back to normal by that point. Um, but like you said, we're just kind of all just waiting to see. Uh, I do think that MSPT happening and the numbers that they got mm -hmm. uh, have have given a you know a jolt of energy to tours and casinos to see if they can find ways to to also start bringing live poker back. So fingers crossed. Yeah, you sort of have this this you know there's a whole bunch of us that are wary of playing. Uh, but that doesn't make out for then if there's very few very few tournaments, uh, anybody that wants to play is going to go there. So they're sort of yeah. that, that they're they're trying to figure out like uh, how do we balance that? And clearly, uh, it was a good decision for them. You know, uh, hopefully uh, with the turnout. But yeah, it might motivate others to to do some tournaments as well. John, what did you have? Oh, I just wanted to mention I was sorry to see the uh, LFG podcast go to the sidelines. I already always enjoyed hearing you and Jamie Kerstetter uh, cover that. And it's really the only one that ever covered the mid-major kind of tour circuit. But I'm at least glad to hear that you're on uh, the, the um, Poker News podcast. So we still get our Chad Holloway fix. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it, John. It's kind words. We had a great time doing that podcast for, uh, you know, it was a solid two-year run. And um, it was no reason other than kind of just a business decision. They wanted to downsize the number of podcasts that they were supporting, really focus on just the one. Uh, we really did enjoy though, focusing on the mid-majors. I still have a big love for the mid-majors. You know, when I work for the MSPT, they are a mid-major tour. I'm a mid-major player. You know, I'm not going to be playing high rollers or anything like that. I'm going to be playing those 1500 those $1,100 type of buy-ins while taking the occasional shots. So, um, I'm still going to do my best to give some love to the mid-majors via the Poker News podcast or via articles on Poker News and things like that. And, of course, Jamie is also doing great things now with Marley Cordiero on uh, their own podcast, The Rake. And, uh, um, you know, me and Jamie, I'm sure, will reunite at some point for something down the road. Yeah, good. That's that's so so good. Uh, so as we as we wrap up now, I guess I, I challenge you to uh, 
what, what words do you have for our rec poker players out there? So we've, we've talked a lot about the industry. We've talked about, you know, maybe getting into this, into the industry if it's something of interest, but we've talked about your experience with poker news, but we haven't even touched on you as a player really other than the, the bracelet. Obviously you could bring a lot to the table strategy wise for our folks. So um, I'm curious uh, as you have, players out there that are playing home games, they're playing bar leagues, they're playing these small buy-in tournaments, and they're going, man, I, I want to, I don't know if I'll be able to become a pro or not, but I want to keep moving up in stakes. I want to get better at this game. Uh, you know, what advice do you have for them as players uh, to advance through the rankings? It's interesting, this game of poker, as I talked about, like 2007, the game is so different even, you know, in 13 yeah, I feel years, like I got years. screwed. I missed out on that. I didn't start playing until like 2010 and everybody's saying right. it used to be so easy. I'm like, it's not easy, especially for me. <laughs> I actually had the opportunity, uh, Jonathan Little, who is a well-respected player and poker coach and author, he asked me to do a, a chapter in his book, Excelling at No Limit Hold'em. This was a few years yeah. ago now. And um, I he asked, you know, to just do a pitch. What would you like to write about? And he was getting some big name players with much more impressive mm -hmm. resumes than me. You know, I'm like, well, do people really want to hear too much strategy from me when they could be reading it from Alex you know, Fitzgerald? Or, exactly. Yeah. And so, but, there, I, yeah. but I said, you know what, what I do have is I have been around for a while. I do know uh, the history of the game and I've been, I've had a front row view to the evolution of the game just from being a live reporter, let alone a player. And so I said, yeah. here's what I'd like to write about. I would like to write about how poker has changed from, you know, 2003, four, five, six, seven to now and you know the th sort of things that we've seen back then like when somebody would raise pre-flop they would raise three times the big blind whereas now you hardly ever see that and it's almost min raise or 1.2 opens and and just little nuances like that and uh, so he said sure go for it and I was honored because he decided to lead his book with that chapter it's mm -hmm. chapter one in the book I didn't know that would be the case at the time but he said it really sets a good tone for you know, strategy talk and, and the evolution. And then this leads into my answer to your question is always be looking to evolve your game, right? If the game is going to change. If you learn to be the best poker player right now, today, in two years time, if you don't continue to study, if you don't continue to improve, you are going to be outdated. You're no longer going to be the top poker pro. And that's why we see a lot of these players that were the top poker pros during the poker boom years, while they still may be famous, we still know them, they still have name mm -hmm. recognition, they don't have the success, they don't have the results, they don't have the money that uh, a lot of these other young, young up-and-comers who are, who are doing a lot of studying, who uh, are currently looking to improve their game, uh, do. And so I'm not saying you have to study as much as those guys. You don't have to use solvers and things like that. I don't even use that stuff. I know what they are. You should at least know what they are, kind of how they work, but it doesn't mean you have to be you know, using it as much as them. It's just being aware of how the game is cha uh, changing and then adapting accordingly. Know what uh, ranges mean. Know what, uh, you know, even if it's more simple, know what a continuation bet is, uh, delayed continuation bet. And you'll get familiar with the terminology and realize it. Because once you know it, then you, when you're playing, you start to see it. And uh, you can either adapt to it, you can start, uh, you know, putting it into your own repertoire of moves that you might make. Um, it took me a while to learn that because when I won my bracelet in 2013, uh, I thought I was great, right? And who doesn't? <laughs> you just want to embrace it. And then I, I was hoping to do follow it up with something, but I really didn't have a whole lot of success in, in the years to come. And that's because I was playing the same old game. And it was only until a couple of years ago where I said, all right, I'm going to start changing it up a little bit where I started kind of having success again. And it's still uh, something I'm doing to this day. It's harder now because I don't get to play as much as, uh, you know, with what's going on. In fact, I'm in the middle of the longest break of poker playing I've ever had. Um, so I'm hoping that when I do get back to the tables, it'll be, uh, I'm ready and roaring to go. Uh, you know, I can feel it. I've got the itch. I've got the passion. <laughs> I want to play some poker. Maybe maybe the game will revert back to 2007 when <laughs> when you when you go back in there and we can all uh, enjoy a little bit of that. But no, that's that's phenomenal stuff, and I think that's where you know we always promote community, community. But you know, have those folks around you so you don't have to figure it out all yourself. You can have other people telling you, "Here's how the game is changing," and uh, you can have those conversations with a group of people. And I think that's a great way to great way to learn the game. So, well, we'll let you go here, Chad. But uh, before we do that, how can people connect with you? They're out there listening, going, "Man, I love this guy. Who's this guy? I want to connect with him. I want to read more of his." stuff what's the best way to connect 
Well, I certainly uh, hope there are some out there. And if they, if they <laughs> well, do hopefully everybody's heard of you, but in the rare <laughs> case, they maybe haven't. Uh, Twitter is usually, uh, I'm very active on Twitter at, at Chad A. Holloway, uh, A being my middle initial. So at Chad A. Holloway is probably the best social media to do it. And then, of course, just visit pokernews.com. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, highly recommend it. We've got great news articles, the live updates from um, a lot of tournaments, both live and online. And then, of course, uh, you know, the Poker News podcast. And there is, you know, if you're looking to improve your game, there's a whole strategy section there with uh, lots of free content. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah, a lot of great stuff. And the archives of articles are all available, too. So go check that out. But, but Chad, thanks, man. It's kind of fun to have you on as number 200. That was kind of a fun uh, turn of events. But uh, hopefully it won't be another 200 episodes so we have you on again. <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you guys kind of letting me talk there. It's been a while since I've gotten to share uh, some poker stories uh, about my travels. And uh, I certainly do appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, and thank you guys for having me. Yeah, and, and all the best, you know, post Mike Sexton. Uh, I know the world looks a little different uh, through your lenses now, but uh, best best of wishes. And uh, I'll, I'll say this: let's whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's Rob or John or anybody listening. Uh, one great way I think to honor Mike Sexton is the next time you play live poker and you make the final table, do what Mike Sexton always did and always advocated for, and that's dress up a little bit. You yeah. know, feel good. Put on, if you don't got a suit, just put a, put on a button up. If you look at Mike Sexton, when he won his WPT title, he's got a, a nice looking suit on and he was always dressed to the nines. And I've always appreciated that about Mike Sexton. So I know that if I ever make another final table, uh, I'm definitely going to do that in, in honor of Mike. I love it. Well, thanks so much, Chad. We're going to wrap up here, but uh, you're free to go, but thanks again. All right, guys. Thanks. All right, guys, good stuff there from Chad Holloway. Uh, fantastic. If you're not connected with him, connect with him. Poker News, follow it. Uh, Rob, John, what do you guys have? Well, I've been following Chad since I got my Twitter account, I think. <laughs> and uh, it's almost, you'd almost feel like you know the guy because he's such a great ambassador for the game. He's, he's, uh, he's been there through a lot of stuff. He's seen a lot of stuff. And I, I remember when he won his bracelet because it was like I was cheering him on. Now, I know he's from Wisconsin. He's probably a Packer yeah. fan and everything. But, but uh, Actually, he's a Dolphin fan, so you oh, don't need to. Oh? Yep. oh, okay. That's fine then. That's fine. Um, but anyway, he was, you know, because he's a neighboring state, so you kind of have this affinity. So I've always had an yeah. affinity to Chad, and I think he's doing a great job of, uh, you know, promoting the game and, and making it interesting for people. Yeah, you know, everything he said about Mike Sexton applies about equally as well to Chad. Mm, I mean, he's got yeah. the same passion to it. I've never heard a bad thing about him. Um, he's been involved with reporting some controversial subjects in poker, and he has always handled them in a very professional manner. Um, so I think uh, he's just a great representative for the game well that is incredibly high praise from 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 john there and i think you know one of the things that came up about mike sexton was he actually referred to him as the nicest guy in poker and i know what? john what that's sort of your I, moniker I, I, yeah i thought that was john uh you know <laughs> if i have to lose to someone mike is quite a player to lose to for yeah. that I have well, maybe, no problem with that. Right. No, right. You can finish second place to Mike Sexton in anything. You're running pretty good. But but maybe that does leave an opening now for officially you to become the nicest guy in poker. <laughs> well, you never know. Actually, never Chad know. might put me, uh, give me a run for my money oh, there. Oh, yeah. Too. I think so. I think so. <laughs> well, I love, I mean, just, you know, as, as a fan of the game, as a fan of the industry, as somebody who's on the outside sort of tried to help poker become more mainstream and more accepted in, you know, in certain certain elements of our world, uh, man, the, the more good people we have in the game, the easier it is to, to sell that message. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on uh, in Rec Poker Nation, guys. Uh, I guess the, the only thing I would want to add is just so many things going on. We talk about this all the time. We've got home games. We got, we have Zoom meetings going on where we play home games. You can be on the podcast recording we have seminars book studies learning with partners strat chats groups forums streaming on twitch all kinds of stuff going on uh frankly it's even overwhelming for me um but that's why we have the website and that's why we have the newsletter so 
Uh, if you're not a member already, you can become a free member at rec.poker and or you can sign up for the newsletter and kind of stay plugged in that way. So just a reminder uh, that we're not giving you all of the updates uh, on the podcast anymore. Uh, we're really relying on you to go to the website and get on the newsletter and check those things out. How about you guys? Well, um, first thing, I had a couple of questions come in regarding our home game format. So I wanted to remind everyone, we have three different distinct series right now. We have our No Limit Hold'em series. That's played the first Wednesday of every month. And then there is a Player of the Year points race for that. And there'll be a Tournament of Champions at the end of the year in December for that league. We also have our mixed game series that's played the second Wednesday of every month. And we're never going to play just plain No Limit Hold'em in that series. It's going to be mixed games like Horse or Badoogie or uh, PLO or Five Card Draw, all of those types of things. And then, of course, we have our nightly series. So every other night of the month, we have the nightly series tournament that you can play um, and the winner of those tournaments gets a get a bronze pin. And then there is a tournament of champions for all of the winners in that month, the following month. So um, keep track of all of those. And just because you win one of them, the points don't count towards another series, but just wanted to make that clear for everyone. And of course, soon we will have our international series with the uh, games that we're playing on Friday. And we're not, we're not really doing, we're not planning on doing pins for those at all, right? That's just <clears throat> podcast shout out. And we'll kind of see, I guess, if it grows big enough, but we want to make sure that the, the pins are, are earned through a big enough field, right? Exactly, exactly. And of course, we would, anyone, you don't have to be international to play that right. series. If you would like to play with people from Australia or people from Europe, then go ahead and course if your schedule allows uh <laughs> sign up for those times that's the hard thing podcasts are great in that it's easy to make an international worldwide uh format that people can listen to and participate and share in but when you want them all to sit down and a poker player together mm -hmm. time zone issues make that a little bit challenging for sure so jump on there at 5 a.m. I'll, I'll be on there on occasion friday mornings at 5 a.m playing with our australian friends so jump in there if you can uh, then we have our, we did have our No Limit Hold'em series played on September 2nd, and we had Fergie 56, Kim Kilroy. She won nice. her very first No Limit Hold'em series. Actually, her first win for Rec Poker altogether. A fantastic victory. And then, there you go, Kim. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then for our Rec Poker Nightly series, August 31st through September 6th, we had Marble Jam, Marbles Jam, Jefferson Kupferberg. I'm sorry, I am. Just... I think it's Kupferberg, I think. But... Okay, Kupferberg. That's actually easier to say, too. It's his <laughs> second No Limit or yes. Nightly Series victory. September 1st, Hilly 15, Adam Hillstrom got his first Nightly Series victory. And denied me of mine i actually came in second place oh burn sorry um, john but you then, already got like five right uh i think not all nightly series but yeah i've got, I've got five wins total but Amazing. i still needed to get that nightly series victory so i can qualify for the tournament of champions next true month. good point uh anyway uh september 3rd <laughs> keck geek 65 who is jacob Keek, maybe? <laughs> I, I don't know. K-I-E-K-E. -E, however that is pronounced. It's his second nightly series victory. Um, Lefty19, Mike B, got his first. Wager32, Ross, got his first. And Mr. DZZZ18, <laughs> Richard Dietz, got his second nightly series victory. Yeah, and he was telling me he had to get the second one to, to prove the first one credible. So he's done that now. Because, right, anybody can maybe win one, but who can win, you know, multiple tournaments? Absolutely. Well, great job, John, as always. Yeah, if you guys have questions on that, you know, we when we set this whole thing up, we thought we'll do a, one tournament a month. And now we're basically running, what, 32, 30, we'll be like 35 tournaments a month. So uh, hopefully we're not confusing things, but uh, it's all about trying to add and get engagement and jump on there, you guys. It, it's so fun. And, and Tuesday nights, uh, every Tuesday night, uh, we do a Zoom call with it. So you can jump on that deal. 
Uh, and then once a month uh, for members, we do a Zoom uh, game as well. So great, great stuff. Rob, you got anything, man? Oh, not much. Just, uh, you know, <laughs> go to the website, check it out. We've got a lot of content out there. The book study is going on. We're hopefully uh, a couple more sessions probably in September, and we should be able to wrap up the game plan and and hopefully get an opportunity to talk about it with Matt Matros. So that'll be uh, exciting coming up. How good has it been? It's been awesome. It's been <laughs> yeah. awesome. Just check it out. I mean, you go to, go to the website. Premium members get content to everything we've done so far, and it's like a it's like a primer for poker. It'll talk talk you through everything from pre flop into the post flop action and what goes on and uh, terms and how everything works. It's it's almost like a, a beginner's primer to poker. Gets yeah, you really, I, gets you started. I think it's been one of the best. I've never seen anything that would take a beginning player and make them competent better than this. It, it really teaches you about balance. Um, the only thing it's really lacking is just understanding the reasons behind all of it, which you have to learn in order to go to the next stage or to, in order to make adjustments. But it gives you a really solid foundation, more solid than just about anything I've seen. I agree. Well, it's, it's been it's been great. And it sounds like that was sort of his goal, right? When we had him on here, it's like, I just want to yep. write something where somebody can learn a few rules, sit down and be competitive. So all yep. of the theory behind it is stuff that he knows, but it sounds like mission accomplished. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, well good stuff. Anything else that we missed? All right, we'll go with direct.poker. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack, Casino, and Hotel. Uh, website amp, Learn Pro Poker. Uh, thanks again to Chad Holloway. Thanks to Rob Washam, John Somsky, and all of Rec Poker Nation. And we will check in uh, next time. Take care, everybody.